Good afternoon. We'll go ahead and get started. I'm Donata McMurtry. I'm the Outreach Director for the Mississippi Department of Transportation. And we are here this afternoon to talk with you about uh, workforce development needs and growing our own workforce uh, both for today and for tomorrow. We didn't pick this 1.30 slot. I understand you had um, a presentation that, that didn't come together for this slot, so we were given the right after lunch time period. But I think you will find this presentation to be very interactive and it should get you on your feet and uh, livened up before the end of it. We'd like to talk with you today about a concern that most of us in the transportation industry have, and that is how do we ensure that our workforce is there and prepared uh, both in the near future and in the extended future. Several years ago, MDOT recognized that when our current workforce began to retire in the next five years or so, we were in a very bad position of not having the next generation of leaders trained and prepared to step into that position. So one of the things that we started looking at was our need for succession planning and doing it in a rapid pace, and that's um, a topic that we're going to address today. At the same time, we also looked at what about our workforce 20 years down the road and how are we not going to let this happen to us again. So we developed some programs that we'll also talk with you about for school-aged children, elementary age through high school. In developing these programs, we had to look at who are our audiences, both the immediate workforce and the children that would be our workforce of the future, and what messages did we need to send to them to get them interested in transportation-related careers, engineering and others. We had to look at ways to deliver our message effectively to make sure that it got the attention of the audience it was intended to address and that it did so in a lively, interesting way to engage them. And we also wanted to look at results. You know, how are we going to know whether or not what we're doing is actually producing the desired outcomes? Our first speaker is Amy Whitten, and she developed our succession planning program with us. She's going to talk with you a little bit about LEAD. Uh, that's the name of our succession planning program. And then a couple programs that came about uh, as a result of LEAD for some other target populations at MDI. Amy? Thank you, <laughs> tight back here and dark. Uh, thank y'all very much for letting me be here. I've been one of uh, MDOT's primary outside partners uh, for over 10 years and uh, have had the privilege with Donata of trying to develop a lot of really cutting edge things for the uh, highly technical audience that we have inside MDOT in our state. Uh, it's my pleasure to get to talk to you first about the LEAD program, which was uh, MDOT's beginning for succession planning that has been really uh, due to the efforts inside the organization, uh, we, we get to work with wonderful people, but I will have to tell you that, that uh, we're pressed and challenged and pushed to do better work by MDOT than probably any other client that I have. Uh, I do a lot of public sector work, and the uh, energy behind this process at MDOT was beyond what I had seen with any other client up to that point. But, you know, desperation will make you do some really fine things, and uh, there are a lot of people in this audience that were drawn by this topic because you've got the same issues we have in our own state. Uh, in 2000, when we began to look at MDOT's situation, 
what uh, what they realized was that 47% of their management structure, uh, up front line to upper management, was retirement eligible that day. Uh, that number, if you looked across five years, we were looking at the numbers from 01 to 06. By 2006, that number of retirement eligibility and management was going up to 64%. And uh, we have seen that happen. Uh, you know, a lot of you who may work in the area of uh, training and development or you're in the management sectors that are worried about these numbers, uh, you know that we can, we can be prophets of doom, uh, but this is going to be certain. It's just a matter of when these retirements will occur. And over the past six years, just to give you an idea of how certain we were about that, uh, and since the time that the LEAD program started, we've had almost 80% turnover in the district engineer ranks, and now four of our district engineers are graduates of the succession planning efforts that MDOT put in place. So we're really proud to be able to show you that there really are results throughout there. And what I'd like to do is show you just very briefly um, and offer you more information if you care for it after the conference on exactly what MDOT did. Um, MDOT decided that its goal was going to be to have the right people with the right skills in the right place at the right time. And to me, that is the simplest definition of succession planning uh, that I know of. It's to make sure that when the needs arise, not that we have identified a successor, which is not what public sector succession planning is about, but that we have developed a bench and that we have a bench that's deep enough and wide enough that we have ready pools of people when we have needs. Uh, those needs may be for definite job promotions. Uh, our program was not promotion driven. Uh, everyone that went through succession planning and everyone who still goes through the program at MDOT signs uh, fairly substantial paperwork uh, stating their understanding that it's not about a promotion, it's not a guarantee of anything, it doesn't alter or change our hiring practices. Uh, I actually am an employment attorney in another life, so I have a lot of appreciation for uh, the way that this needs to be done in the public sector. What it is is the opportunity for you to develop yourself and then to be ready for the call when MDOT has needs, whether they be for formal promotions or whether they need, uh, need people to step up in, in very dire circumstances. We had a lot of leadership shown out of the people who had been through these programs during the Katrina experience in 05. And what we've learned is if you ready people for experiences that they are likely to have as leaders, they will be deployable to you in a variety of set of circumstances. Um, we learned a lot of things along the way. The audience that was targeted for LEAD, and LEAD is the program name, um, the program uh, that we developed was actually named by the first class. Approximately 90 people were singled out, and DOT has about 3,400 employees. In the public sector, on average, about one out of four employees is a supervisor. You look across the last 10 or 15 years of data. We targeted about 90 out of those 3,400 who went through the first uh, uh, version of LEAD, which turned out for us to be somewhere optimally between the 12 and 18 month length. Uh, the programs we now run and uh, in, the, in the later permutations of the LEAD program, we're ready in a new class to start now at MDOT. That class will likely run across a calendar year uh, period as, as opposed to 18 months. But what we realized was that we had to start in catch-up mode. And I don't know how many of y'all are involved in real formal succession planning, but for most of us who deal with, um, with transportation entities, we're in the catch-up mode early on. We're behind the eight ball. We have numbers like 47% eligibility, 64% eligibility. And so we can't really take the pure leadership academy approach where we field a small class once each year, uh, which is probably kind of where you want to go with these things long term. 
But usually if you're starting out, you've got catch-up to do because you have a lot of exposure at a lot of levels. And so that's why we decided to target almost 100 people in the first rounds to give us the strength to pull that pool forward. Um, those 100 were taken in. They were given a lot of um, very in-depth training. Several of those people are in the room right now, and, and uh, I think they might not have known why we were doing to them what we did to them a few years ago, but they know now, don't, don't you, Kevin? Um, we, we started with a lot of assessment. Uh, some of the things that are kind of unique to this program is it was competency-based. Around the time we went to this program, the state of Mississippi was developing statewide competencies for management positions and core competencies for all state positions. Uh, I will have to tell you that MDOT actually was ahead of the state of Mississippi, and MDOT did a whole lot of the competency development uh, because to wait on the state of Mississippi was going to cause us to delay the program, and uh, they didn't want to do that. But as it turned out, a lot of what MDOT did turned out to be the state's core competencies that were built up. A lot of the competencies you're looking at on these slides form the basis for the curriculum development inside our program. Uh, we didn't want to just make people better. We wanted to make them better in the competencies that we felt like were going to be critical for 21st century uh, success in a technical environment. Now, one of the most interesting things you see on that slide is what? Non-technical competencies. And, you know, that's what we discover. A lot of people who do what I do for a living is the higher you go in an organization, your technical credibility is always very, very important. But the other side of your effectiveness, the emotional intelligence, the ability to handle people, uh, begins to get more important, uh, almost more important than your ability to do the technical job, although technical credibility is always important. And so what we began to focus on were things that we felt like were going to be important to leaders in the transportation industry. We did a lot of environmental scanning. Uh, we did a lot of looking at what transportation would look like in 10 to 20 years. And then we designed the competencies around, you see some very important ones there, like macro orientation. Um, a lot of engineers and scientists that I work with will tell me that's one of the biggest uh, developmental um, hurdles that they have, is to go from being a very deep person to learning how to be a mile wide and an inch deep as some people have put it to me, uh, is to really have breadth and to be able to see the big picture. So once we got these competencies, we began to assess everyone. Our, our program has several things that are kind of unique to it. One of them is the assessment process. We put everyone through a uh, self-supervisor assessment on the individual competencies. We put them through a personality assessment, and we put them through a career goals assessment. Uh, the results of all those assessments are then placed in the hands of professional coaches and we are giving these people one-on-one -on -one access to professional coaching across the entire program, uh, which for anybody that does any of this business knows that that's a private sector best practice. Uh, Fortune 500 is to provide professional coaching, uh, the ability to sit down with someone and to get the feedback in a professional manner uh, and to be able to have that person to bounce experiences off of as you go. Each person in, in the LEAD program develops an accelerated development plan around their assessment results. Uh, it's a formal document. It's tracked. Uh, MDOT is in the process of integrating it into its overall professional development software so that you will be able to um, do things like match up all the courses that we have available from various places to the competencies. So if you're working on macro orientation, you'll be able to hit a drop down and it'll bring you all the resources to show you how to direct yourself into that particular path. Uh, succession planning that works in our experience is very strategic. 
It's, it's, it's developed right around specific goals. I know what my goals are. My goals aren't to just be better, bigger, uh, no more. I'm focusing on those things that uh, Marshall Goldsmith, who's a, a CEO level coach in the private sector, has written a wonderful book called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And it's about the 20 derailing behaviors that typically knock us off somewhere during the ascension. Um, and that's, that's the premise that we tried to adopt in this program, which is I need to be specific with myself I need to be strategic, and I need to have a map, and I need to know if I've reached my goals. And so that's what these development plans are designed to do. Uh, the training is standardized to MDOT. What I mean by that is we don't do anything off the shelf. Uh, every single thing that's done in these programs is 100% customized to the MDOT environment. Uh, I personally believe from working with DOTS for many years that that is critically important. The culture, the, the development has to fit the culture, not vice versa. Uh, because it just won't work in our kind of environment if we, if we count on people just to take it wholesale off the shelf. We implemented a formal mentoring program toward the end of our accelerated uh, program, toward the end of the one-year lead program. We have a formal mentoring program that also is around the goals that still remain on the accelerated development plans. In other words, if one of my goals is to become an extremely effective public speaker, then I'm going to be paired with a mentor based on the public speaking competency, not on um, informal mentoring works beautifully. We just can't count on it in today's world to land on the right people at the right time. And so our program, the mentor program, runs formally for six months uh, with, with three required reporting deadlines, final evaluations, and then the mentor and the mentee, for lack of a better word, uh, just make a decision as to whether they want to informally continue that relationship or whether usually we find by that time people are in a position that they can structure their own mentoring agreements if they want to do that. They're able to approach somebody and say, I really would like for you to be my mentor and here's a plan that I've put together uh, that where we could do that. I, I think it's much more efficient to use the energies of your top executives that way if there's structure. Um, informal mentoring to me just sometimes gets lost and you know, it gets knocked off easily by its budget season or, or it's time to do the strategic plan and it's very hard sometimes to keep it with any structure underneath it. We found, uh, you know, you always, when you do what I do for a living, uh, if you listen, you learn more than you ever provide anyone else in learning and, and one of the biggest things that happened to me in this program was realizing how critical the networking aspects of our program were. Uh, we had a commitment from the top that our top management would be there when we asked them to be there. Whether that was to spend the night at our opening retreat so they could be with these people, whether it was to uh, attend a presentation skills class where some of their young engineers were making presentations. And we had that kind of commitment. Um, we were able to have at least two or three people with us at every time. And what we heard from the participants was their access to senior management with a beer in their hand or you know, waiting on a tea time or something like that, there was more learning, the informal kind of learning, the real mentoring that was passed along through those kinds of interactions and the program structure simply provided the times. Um, I'll, I'll, if I could share one thing with you and then I want to uh, relinquish the, the microphone to someone to talk about an even bigger program than what we were doing inside LEAD, but if I could share one thing with you, these programs are the best retention tool you have. In, in a time when we're being picked off, we're, we're fishing in a talent puddle, we really don't have a pool anymore, uh, we're trying as hard as we know how to fight off that three to five year loss window where we take in a young person and we train them. 
Um, and then, you know, we're responsible for them receiving a $25,000 signing bonus somewhere else. Uh, we really have got to get very aggressive about the retention aspect of these programs. And uh, into our first, probably the first end of the first year and a half of our program, uh, it finally, I, I got the best compliment that the program had ever received. When we had someone, a young engineer who was offered a job in another place, and he called me on the phone and he asked me, would I be allowed to continue and finish the program over here if I take the other job? Because if I don't, if I can't do that, I'm not going to go. Now, that's better than data. <laughs> uh, we're, we have retention data, but you know, nowadays, the number one reason that an employee leaves their current employer is their relationship with their immediate supervisor. That's it. The Gallup poll has shown that every year for the last five years. It's not more money. They'll tell us it's more money because most people aren't going to say, I'm leaving you because you have bad supervisors. Uh, they'll leave you for a better opportunity. And these kind of aggressive programs inside, especially if you can put them together so that they become a part of the internal culture and they can be run from the inside, uh, they will create a culture that I really believe if you, if you measure, you will see the results on it. Uh, we feel so strongly about the way that this was done inside MDOT that MDOT is now patterning, uh, patterning a lot of its other development along this line, to not mention two additional programs. Uh, this year we're extremely excited because we're going to start a version of this succession planning program at the maintenance supervisor level on the district, at the, in the districts, the field district. That opening meeting to start that up is in the next couple of weeks. So we're going to start to do the same thing with categories of employees all throughout the department. Uh, we have found that people want to belong to some kind of program. They don't want to find out they, they're supposed to be in a class on the fourth Thursday uh, of May. They want to belong to something. Uh, our maintenance supervisor's program is going to be called PEAK. And, you know, they're going to be a part of something that has pieces, parts to it that's all developed for them. And we just really believe, we've learned from our participants more than anybody else, that that's what they want. Uh, they want to be a part of an ongoing development program as opposed to simply a class du jour, uh, what I call spray and pray, you know, where we hit everybody with a communication class and hope it sticks. Uh, there really are such better ways of doing that. I, I appreciate being able to highlight a few of these features. I hope that anyone who has questions about this part of the presentation will feel free to ask me questions when we open up the floor uh, or also to visit with me after we get through because, um, you know, MDOT's just given me a wonderful opportunity to work with, um, with some wonderful people and I hope we can share more about that later. Thank you. Good afternoon. My name is Beth Ann Juan, and I work in the Outreach Division for the Mississippi Department of Transportation. I work very closely with Amy with uh, a lot of our leadership management programs that she just mentioned, and I also work with some of our um, educational outreach programs that we have in schools in Mississippi, and that's what I'm going to speak to you about today. The first thing I'd like to talk to you about is our track program. It's actually AASHTO's track program. It stands for Transportation and Civil Engineering. And the other program I'd like to speak to you about is RIDES, and that stands for Roadways into Developing Elementary Students. Our track program, I believe AASHTO has got it in ninth grade schools in most states, but we actually found that it fit better in our seventh grade classrooms for the what was at that time career discovery and I think it's called something different now, but regardless, it's in every seventh grade classroom in Mississippi. We went statewide with that uh, 
a couple of years ago. So, one of the reasons, like Amy was saying, we are having the turnover problem and the retirement problem, but we're also noticing that not quite as many students are choosing civil engineering as a career path. And so we developed these programs or implemented them to try and pique an interest in transportation-related careers in our students in Mississippi. Um, by doing that, we have these hands-on programs that actually, they show them how the math and science skills are actually applied to real engineering problems. <coughs> Track was piloted in 1997 in Mississippi. We took it statewide and recently it's been implemented into um, all classrooms and it's also meeting all of the state and national standards. Connie and Talena, who will be getting up and getting you on your feet in just a second, um, they actually go through every year and update our RIDES program, which is the K-8 program, so that it meets all the standards nationally and statewide. Uh, we hold teacher trainings every summer, as many as we can allow with our budget. We have trained over 800 teachers in RIDES, and I don't even know how many we track, a lot. Um, so we've had a lot, a lot of training. Um, RIDES was developed, we, we saw how successful track was, but we started to realize that we really needed to be reaching the younger students also. So we had some professors at the University of Mississippi, Ole Miss, develop this program and it's actually MDOT's program. We own it. We have the trademark on it, or I guess that's what you call it, patent. Um, it is available for anyone who wants it. Unfortunately, we have more of a demand than we do a budget to be able to supply every teacher that wants it. So we have about a 200 uh, teacher waiting list right now. It's a very popular program. We try to fit in as many of them as we can each summer, but unfortunately we just have a very, very high demand. So um, as you see in the picture there, these are our trunks. Uh, I believe that we have one with us if y'all want to come take a look at it once we're done. It's got everything that the teacher needs. Each teacher that comes to training is provided with these trunks. Um, lots and lots of hands-on activities. And we also have a very special partnership with our EAP group, Region 8. Um, they're our employee assistance program, but they also help us uh, get these rods trunks put together because we just don't have the manpower at MDOT to do it. Uh, basically, what we've done is we've taken their clients and um, their disability, um, citizens with disabilities clients, they actually put the trunks together for us. Um, it provides them with a job and it provides us with a service and it's all around just a spectacular partnership and we're extremely proud of that. So, um, I'm going to go back. And actually we've got a video we want to show you. Um, one of our hometown One of our hometown TV personalities, uh, he's actually a reporter for one of the news stations in Jackson. He did a piece on our rides program, and that's what we're going to, if we can get it pulled up, show you the video for. He was gracious enough to come through and put this fabulous video together, and it kind of gives an overview of the entire program and our partnership with Region 8. 
You know what these students are doing? I know it looks like they're playing. But today, they're learning weights and measurements, water displacement. They're learning to use their heads to solve a problem. They're learning to chart, compare results of an experiment. And they're having fun. And you know what else? Because they are having fun. More than likely, they're retaining a lot more of the lesson they're learning today than if they were just studying all of this at their best, trying to use their imaginations to try to visualize what all this means in relation to the real world. We're having bonus hands-on. They're getting to get up and interact. It is real-world learning, real-world experiences. So that sticks with children. And you know, you and I, if we're having fun doing something, we're going to remember it. We're going to remember what we did. We're going to want to do that again. So what's happening here, I'll take, for example, one of the activities is building ships. Hands-on learning like this automatically short-circuits the ubiquitous protest question number one that students universally and agelessly have posed when faced with a task perceived as boring or inconsequential, like having to learn math or science or English. You never hear anyone ask, how am I ever going to use this in real life? The question's already answered before it's ever thought of, because the subject is being taught in real life situations. Not that any of these students will ever go into hauling pennies on barges in real life, but more likely, a career that's like it, or some derivative or overtone of it, than a career involving sitting at a desk staring out a window when they're supposed to be learning. They think they're playing, and that's a good thing, because that's the trick. If you can get a student involved in having fun, you're going to learn. And if they're having fun, they're not begrudgingly going out there going, okay, i got to go do this, i got to do, i got to add decimals, i got to divide decimals. They're actually out there having fun, and they're recording their data, and it's kind of a competition. Because when we were flying airplanes, it was like, I went farther than yours, mine went farther than yours. Or when we were building ships, it's like, mine held more than yours. So it gets it into a competition. It makes it fun for them to compete. And yet they're still learning the math and science skills, which are so very important. We need that. Our society today is a lot of technology-driven stuff, which is math and science. And our students need to know math and science to be able to compete in this worldwide global market. Now, some dedicated, infinitely energized, zealously creative teachers somewhere may have come up with an endless string of activities like this to keep their students on their toes and occupied every day. That would be the same teacher who doesn't have bills to pay, and a family, and a spouse, and community obligations to worry about, or classroom paperwork to otherwise rob their minds of all the cleverness that it would take to do such a Herculean task. Not to mention the time and money to go shopping, to get all the supplies, to plan and organize, and do all these things. Yet, learning activities like these are a daily routine in schools all over Mississippi. And the source for the lessons and the correlation of the lessons to made up with curriculum standards and all the materials required to do the activities comes to the teachers from an unlikely place, the Mississippi Department of Transportation, MDOT. And what does MDOT have to do with what and how students in Mississippi learn? Well, it goes back to that real-life situation again. Highway department as aggressive and progressive as Mississippi's runs on the aggregate knowledge of an army of engineers. Engineers come from engineering schools. Only students interested in engineering go to those schools. Students only get interested in engineering when they discover they have an interest in it. They discover this interest usually in a classroom somewhere, and more likely 
a classroom or a lesson relating to an engineering situation in some way or another has been studied and mastered by the student in a way that piqued their interest. Now that's where our future highways and bridges will come from, students of today. Students with abilities, and talents, and interest in engineering-related careers drawn out and developed from an early age. Absolutely. Our view of the workforce and the pool of applicants begins with our kindergarten students because they are our transportation workforce of tomorrow. And that's where MDOT comes in, with plans and supplies MDOT provides for the kinds of science and math-based lessons and subjects that are already being presented in classes all over the state through a couple of programs, the National Track Program, taught nationwide in upper grades, and with a program developed and implemented right here in Mississippi for younger grades called RIDES. Our track program now is in every public school system in the state of Mississippi. It's the only program like it in America, and it's the only program like it in the state of Mississippi where every student has an opportunity uh, to deal with the track program. We're in 800 schools now on the RIDES program. Over 800 public school teachers have been trained uh, to, to, to demonstrate to these youngsters, these second and third graders, uh, the importance of transportation and, and the role that it plays in their daily lives and, and in the future. RIDES is roadways into developing elementary students and MDOT is working in a partnership with schools because they're wanting to plant the seeds for future generations of civil engineering. There's going to be a shortage, actually it's going on right now, of civil engineers. So what they're going to do, they're again partnering with education to put these trunks into classrooms. And these trunks are full of math and science activities. They're linked to the Mississippi curriculum. And so the teachers are just thrilled to get these trunks. They're full of all the supplies that they need to do the activities for the lesson plans and the books they give. And even if students don't choose some engineering or other transportation-related career, this is still a good investment for Mississippi simply because the increased attention given to math and science. That emphasis is already showing a return in higher test scores for students who've been through the RIDES program. We have seen test scores improve. Um, Tupelo has kind of been our pilot site since the beginning of the track program, and we've seen the standardized test scores there improve with both the RIDES students and the track students. Now RIDES doesn't just appear in a classroom one day and the instructor instinctively knows how to use the material. Teachers come to training sessions themselves and are caught up on what RIDES is all about and how it will help them in their classes. Number 9, aluminum. Number 10, paper clips. Number 11, a Inside these trunks are all the tools they'll need to teach classes on math and science designed to be fun for the students well as teaching themselves. But hopefully, it will tweak an interest to give math and science a lifelong appeal, too. But how will doing experiments and growing crystals and discovering potential and kinetic energy and the like help the Department of Transportation have engineers enough to build roads in the future? Because if you start a kid liking science, liking math, doing activities, then they're going to continue in that. And they're planting the seeds for the future engineers, civil engineers of tomorrow. It's going to be the ones that make building our roads, building our bridges. These packs are not something that both the track pack and the rides packs are not something that you can go out and buy off the shelf from anyone. They have to be assembled. And as we were looking at how to get these packs assembled, uh, especially with the rides program after we created that program from scratch, 
we tried to figure out what would be a win-win relationship for MDOT in getting the packs assembled and to somebody else in the department. And as we looked at it, we thought about our citizens with disabilities and those who were um, working through the Work Activity Center of Region 8 Mental Health. And they have a system in place already where citizens with disabilities are given work assignments and they can practice those assignments and get paid for doing them there at the sheltered Work Activity Center. And so we've talked to Region 8 about that. They were very interested and um, the clients work on these packs. They have a, a list of materials and kind of an assembly line type process and those clients get to have an active part in that. In addition, they have some hands-on use of the packs. We make sure they have access to one because some of the clients there have had some interest in doing some of the activities. Uh, some of these folks at Region 8 uh, see meaningful results and get a better insight themselves uh, as to their value personally themselves and to their fellow man and, and have a hand in, in making a program work statewide. It's, uh, it's a very meaningful thing uh, for them, we think, as well as for us to be able to participate with Region 8 and to see, they, see the results that come from it. Uh, these are individuals uh, with a disability and they have a lot of abilities. You don't look at the disabilities, you look at the abilities. It's very important that these individuals get work in the community, and it's very important that they get meaningful work. Um, it is, it increases their sense of self-worth. Uh, they do get a paycheck just like you and I do. They are very proud of, of the uh, compensation that they get. They uh, become tax-paying citizens, and they are productive members of our society. Moms and dads and guardians are able to go to work every day and live a normal life because of the program and the program exists because of us having worked in contracts with people in, in the community like MDOT and the RAD program. So it's a cycle, everybody working together in unity toward common goals uh, uh, creates this particular joint venture that's successful, I think, for the consumers, Region A and, and, uh, and for MDOT. You'd be hard pressed to find a program with more pluses than MDOT's rides program. Valuable to teachers because the activities lend themselves to a creative classroom and already fit the standardized program. Valuable to students because when learning is interesting, learning actually happens. Valuable to Mississippi because it makes our students more competitive in the world marketplace. Valuable to MDOT because of the pool of potential engineers to come from such early challenges. Valuable to clients, Region A, who are making a mark in the future education of Mississippi's <coughs> students through their diligent work. It's a loud, uh, eye-opening awakening, if you will, of these youngsters to opportunities that lie ahead. If they choose not to take advantage of transportation opportunities, at least they know the value of the system as it pertains to all the other options that they'll have along the way, whether it be manufacturing, whether it be social services, the delivery of health care, and anything else, certainly every one of those rely on a strong transportation network. I'm reminded of the story of the pill and the pet. If you wrap the pill inside the pet's food, you'll more likely swallow it. MDOT has taken traditional learning and developed ways to wrap it in interesting activities, which are more likely to be internalized. The lessons, like the pill, 
work a lot better once they get inside. All right, uh, now I'm going to ask uh, Connie Desmus and Talena Knight. They are um, both with Tupelo Middle School and they have been facilitators of our RISE trains for quite some time now. We're going to turn it over to them and let them have a few activities of fun with you guys. Well, first of all, I would like to say, can y'all hear me? Do I need a microphone? As teachers, we learn to articulate our voices. So can y'all hear me in the back back there? Okay. All right. <laughs> Don't get scared. I'm not grading you today. Um, first of all, I would like to say thanks to MDOT and for their support with us. I mean, I don't know if y'all seen this trunk. I'm just going to kind of do it out here just a little bit and let y'all see what we get. But teachers get so excited. And I mean, there is goodies in there like you would not believe. I'm going to tell you, we work on a very small budget, getting a little bit of money to spend in our classrooms. And so when these teachers go to these trainings and they have go two days, and a lot of the things we get back our feedback are, can we have another day of training? Now, when a teacher gives up another day of, of their summer to go to a training to sit in it, you know you're doing something good. This is the manual that comes with it, and it has activities planned out, and all the stuff in here that you need to do these activities are right here. And it's really some simple things that we use. Very inexpensive, but, I mean, you put it all together, you give the teachers the training, they go out, they have a field day with it. So I just wanted to show you that, and that's what goes K through 8 for us. And then we pick up with track, which is the AASHTO program in our eighth grade classes. And again, that is statewide. My students, uh, we build ships and then we transfer that knowledge to building bridges. And I would just like to, at this point, really thank Mr. Bill Jameson, Mr. Butch Brown, and Ms. Donata McMurtry because they support us in everything we do. The bridge building, he let one of the engineers come out and answer questions for the kids because I didn't have a clue. <laughs> But it was really great, and we thank y'all for y'all's support and what y'all are doing, because as a teacher, this is wonderful for us. The other thing that's being implemented is cars. And y'all, I had the awesome opportunity last summer to go out and shadow MDOT employees. Y'all know what? Y'all don't build the roads, <laughs> but you do build the roads. My perception was that when I saw a Mississippi Department of Transportation truck out there on the road, I thought they were out there, they were the ones that built, were building the roads. But what I've learned is that it's more like quality control. You make sure that these contractors that y'all contract with are doing the right job and by standards is set by AASHTO, so it's nationwide. Um, I also learned that it wasn't only highways, but y'all are in charge of all kinds of transportation in the state. Uh, airports, ports and waterways, uh, railways, um, and then the highways. So I learned a lot myself. But what came out of that, I got teachers together, and this is going to go into our ninth grade statewide into STEM. And STEM is a statewide or nationwide program that's going on right now in education. And it stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Mathematics. And this book right here gives our ninth graders a touch of what's happening, our, career, our future um, career fields with MDOT, or what's happening at MDOT. And these are lesson plans that's strong in the math and the science, but especially the math and the engineering part. And it gives them little tidbits of what MDOT does. So not only are they getting the math, but they're getting to see that MDOT is not only just out there on the side of the road. They're all over in all different jobs that are at MDOT. The great thing about these manuals, too, is that they are strictly aligned to our state curriculum, which we recently revamped. Um, in order to bring Mississippi up to speed with the other schools in the nation. 
And so the teachers have the comfort of knowing that whatever they teach out of these manuals is going to meet their curriculum standards. And so they're very useful to them. And we work from a depth of knowledge um, point of view in which we try to teach greater depth of concepts. Um, so it's not what they do, it's how deep they go into the concepts. And so these books all work on a, do a DOK level of two to four, and four is the highest that you can get with a child as far as analysis and evaluation goes. So even though these kids, like you said, looks like they're having a lot of fun, they are learning things and they're processing them to their long-term memory. Um, so it's not just something they forget when they walk out of the classroom. As a matter of fact, they come in lots of days and ask, can we do something out of rides today? So they really get excited about it. Well, Connie, as you looked around the room, did you see anybody with any potential? I saw Mr. Kirk back there, and he had some potential. He, he had some potential. So, Mr. Kirk, can I ask you to come to the front, please? Because we think you have potential. It's like it's a setup. Now, you're from Florida, am I correct? Okay. Florida <laughs>
they're I'm doing trying to do is I'm trying to get them yeah, to communicate more and to listen. So I tell them they start out with a grade of 100, and then anytime they make a mistake or they have to um, ask questions after I've gone over it, okay. then also, I'll come and I'll tell them how to do it again, well, but it's going to cost them a little bit. And so that's kind of getting them into that real-world scenario with their grade and but what I do is I have the students uh, build the ships, and I'm going to let y'all, for time-wise, we're just probably going to build and see. We make a uh, mask, one or two of them, but would you flip that? I will. Okay. I have this. The scientists about me about that. I said, wait. And they said, no, you don't wait stuff here. You mask it. And then technically they said that um, if you were talking about any other planet, you'd have to mask it, but you could weigh it on Earth, so it's kind of entertaining. So I learned something. <laughs> and then the English person gets me sometimes. Okay, what I have them do is I have them put the ship's name up here. They build it. They mask it on the triple beam balance scale. Put the ship name and how much it weighs. And then we put the cargo in there. And then once we do that, we do a ratio of cargo divided by ship. Well, this transfer is really great. I did this with my seventh graders building ships. And then in eighth grade, when I have my students doing the bridge building with balsa wood for Ashto track, then I tell them, remember when we build ships? It's the same thing. You're drawing your bridge up, and you want the lightest bridge possible that can hold the most weight. And so the knowledge transfer is so easy, and all that is wonderful. I don't know if you know that or not, but with 30 kids in class, or 20-something is great when they understand. So what happens here? <laughs> is that they build the ships, and what I'm going to do, I'm going to turn you loose. We're going to give you, let's see, you want know, one or two songs. I'm thinking one song, and I do this in my class. I play music and let them give them enough time to build their ship. One thing I do is that I make sure that we measure it, and we've got enough, the aluminum foil and mighties is exact, and then they put it up there. But for today's purposes, we're just going to build. So I'm going to ask you to use all the aluminum foil that you were given. Don't carry any off. And don't steal from your fellow neighbors and get in there either, okay? So, one song you have time to collaborate in your group and build your ship. Begin. Okay. 
to have come to after lunch.
And I, as a teacher, I cannot tell you what that does for me. So I just want you to know that I really appreciate you and all you do. Okay, this is what I want you to do. Does anybody need more music time, more time? Okay, keep going. Okay, you're going to sink your ship with these little flat marbles. Okay, let me Okay, everybody, give your attention to Connie. Processes, the mental processes they have to go through in order to plan for their ship design. And so they have to think about the type of water that it would be, uh, that they would be loading the cargo on and shipping the mass, you know, across whether it would be the ocean water, which has salt, or whether it would be fresh water. They also need to think about what kind of design would hold the most mass without sinking. Um, they have to think about surface area. They have to think about a lot of things when designing your ship. And at first, they don't realize that they're doing all this, but it comes to them once we start questioning them in the process. So as you can see, the students are learning valuable lessons as they go through these practices. And once they go through and sink their ships or see a few of them that have been sunk, they go back and revise their ship versions and think about what they need to do differently. So they're learning problem-solving techniques in the process. As y'all come up, please put how many marbles you think your ship will hold. Put your ship name and how many marbles. And let's go ahead and get those up there. Designate somebody and let's get those ships on the board. Let's go, y'all. Time to set them sail.
But you didn't see that kid, nine-year-old kid's boat either. Nine-year-old. Caldwell was watching the deckhands carry up luggage at Southampton. She asked one of them, 
Is this ship really not sinkable? Yes, lady, he answered. God himself could not sink this ship. And so with that, let me call up USS Silver Silver Rectangle. Come forward. You Come forward. Bring your ship and the designers. Come on, everybody. Get y'all team. Make them come with Quickly. <laughs> All right, what I'm going to ask you to do, y'all, they're going to count. They estimated, we're going to look at the design of their ship. They're putting it in. They estimated that, it, uh, they estimated that it's going to hold 15 of these marbles. So we're going to let them start, and we're going to let them count and see how many we're going to get. Now, one thing that happens in my classroom, and i got to watch these guys, too, is when it starts sinking, usually kids will have a handful of these marbles and they try to toss them in. No, that disqualifies you. So once the first group gets disqualified and it goes through the holidays and nobody else will do this. But they're putting them in right now. <laughs> yes, you are supposed to count them as you put them in. Okay, so they're at 15 right now. So they've just gone 18. to their 15. 18? 19, 20. Mm. Now, if you notice, when the guys are doing something really neat, because what we have to point out to our children, why are you placing them all in different areas? Why are you placing them in different areas? Why are you placing them in different areas? Why are you placing them all in different areas? Distributing the load. They're distributing the load. <laughs> well, they get close to that. Not those words. <laughs> we teach them that, though. Same concept. You know, y'all set really low expectations for yourself, don't you? Where are we now? We're at 52 now. Wow. Y'all could probably drop them in by twos. Uh, some of you are already rethinking your designs, aren't you? Hmm, I bet it could hold more than I thought. And that's why I made you commit on the board to what you do. <laughs> 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 All right, so you can go ahead. They're over a hundred now. <laughs> Oh, now they're trying to sink it, so they're not distributing the load anymore. And we already have, as you can see, these waves of masks. 
excuse me. And then you put them on here with a load, weigh it, and see how many times your um, ship held, well, how much weight it held times its own weight, mass, whatever. I'm English. You have to forgive me on this. <laughs> okay. They guessed 15. <laughs> I would say that, what? What dots we are y'all with again? I don't know what I'm traveling on. I thought they were big marbles. Um, and what dots are big marbles? Uh, the safety factor. You have some of the safest. Sure you safest. 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 Okay. Okay. Now I'm going to go down through here and just let y'all see. They said 15 on their ship. And so here, Holly, tell me if you think it's heavy. Yes. Yeah, it's
advanced placement uh, conferences for advanced classes. And we did the shipbuilding activity, and we told them that we have this, and this is what we do, and that our Mississippi Department of Transportation sponsors this. We did that, and those people had such fun. But one group built a pontoon. They actually took the aluminum foil, rolled it up, blew in there to blow up the, the pontoon things, sealed it off, and then they put it in the water. So that was the first time we'd ever seen anything like that. And I said, you know, and it did pretty good. If they had really had a little bit more time, if we let them work on it, it would have been great. Okay, next one would be the Sun Pass Mini. You know, how many of y'all are staying here and have seen the little uh, dragon out in the water go by? Y'all know they do that a lot. We didn't realize that. We laid down in bed the other night. So I'm thinking I'm going to take some of these marbles out there and strategically place them. Jennifer. <laughs> okay, they guessed 20. Okay, y'all think it's going to make 20. You're going to put 200? Yeah. Here's more marbles. <laughs> <laughs>
integrate these programs statewide and with the State Department of Education. And without their support, um, none of that would be uh, available to our students in Mississippi. So do you have any questions that we can answer at this time? The rides trunks are about $850 a piece. Uh, those we have to assemble ourselves through the program with Region 8. And then the track packs are available through Ashto and they're $1,200 $1, a piece. Yes. I've been involved with this a lot over here, like West Point grid contest and track and the whole thing. And I think are wonderful to get the students involved. But have you ever seen any data that talks about how many kids are going to civil? Because our experience has been they get to be a senior with the Internet, and they look at our salaries compared to any other. If they're that smart, they're going to go to electrical, chemical, mechanical, geotechnical. What's your experience on that? Because it's a lot of effort, but are the kids going into civil or one of those that's going to relate to DOT? And that's been a real issue because of the salary structure. That's a, a very good question. We are just now at a point that the first pilot programs that we had, um, it's, it's been enough time. We should be seeing some of those students in our universities, uh, in our engineering programs, and we're currently looking at ways to capture that information, but we don't have it right now. One of the ways, we have scholarship programs that are available, and one of the ways that we talked about doing that was through some questionnaires as these students are entering those programs. So that's the one piece we didn't go over today is our scholarship programs that are available. We have SASHTO scholarships, as all of you do, um, that we offer for our community college students who are going into transportation, civil engineering type careers. In addition to that, we have um, what we kind of call a pilot program still, but it's been very successful. It's where we put students into positions and they actually work for the State Department of Transportation while they're in their junior and senior year in engineering schools, and then they come to work for MDOT at the at the end of their program. Anything else? Yes, ma'am. Um, do you limit the for the lead program? Do you limit the employees who can actually go into the program? We do. It, it's um, an application process that we went to on the second group. The first group was uh, hand-selected by our executive management team uh, based on some criteria, and it was our pilot program. The second group was an application process. Let me add one thing to that, Denali, if you don't mind. The criteria are really set for just basic success factors. You know, you have to have been with the department for a certain period of time. You have to have been in your your position for long enough that you're not still in a training mode. You have to have uh, good, solid performance scores, uh, you know, a clean disciplinary record across a certain period of time. It's those kind of criteria. Uh, but the program is, a, is an application-based, competitive-based process. It's all blind scored by the selection committee, so they never see the names until the uh, numbers come off the name, so that, and that's the process that's used now. Uh, the first hand-picked process really was at our, at my request because we were trying to test the methodology all the way across the whole range of departments. We want to make sure we had a good mix for everybody in there, but it's been competitive since then. Any other questions? Okay.
Okay, well, thank you very much for your time and attendance and your participation. If y'all want to sink your ship, come aboard. Water and marbles available. If you want to sink your ship. Yeah, this is great.